Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this Friday y'all. A little warmish out there. I didn't I didn't know it was going to be like 75 I checked. The high today around central Mississippi. Is that correct? Somewhere yeah, in it's, uh, it's it's unseasonably warm, and <laughs> I knew it was going to be warm this morning when I woke up and hopped in the shower, and then I heard the AC click on, and I was like, wait a second, <laughs> that's unusual. Well, uh, I don't know of any um, serious stormy weather moving through as a result. Usually when you get the warm weather this time of year, I haven't seen any fronts that might clash with the warm air causing disturbance hopefully that's not the case it is friday i'm sure it's el nino's fault <laughs> that's probably true uh it's methane gas too many cows <laughs> lance talbert host of mississippi farm bureau insurance company high school football scoreboard show and producer of the gallo show comes on at 10 20 today to give us a preview of all the high school football games i think a couple of championships already in the books We'll get more from Lance at 1020. Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News at 1120. And then at 1205, it's Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth. By the way, the Dow presently up 43 points. It's a mixed market once again. The NASDAQ is down 32 points. The S&P is kind of hanging around the old unchanged line. The 10-year Treasuries yield down to 4.292. Keep in mind, again, that mortgages, uh, interest rates, installment loans, credit card rates, all the above, are generally tied to the 10-year Treasury interest rate. So we'll have a good discussion with Jeremy at 12.05 about where he sees all that stuff going. Sandra Day O'Connor, you may have heard, folks, has passed away, first woman to serve on the United States Supreme Court. She was 93, 93, and what a legacy Justice O'Connor left. Also up in Washington, breaking news, it appears the House has the number of votes needed to expel Representative George Santos. 
two-thirds required. I believe we looked it up the other day would be the fifth or sixth, right, member of the House in U.S. Fourth. history. Fourth. Okay, pardon me. Um, Unless you count the 17 or some odd that were expelled for their support of the Confederacy. Yeah, different scenario there, different procedure. But nonetheless, it looks like the votes are there. We'll be watching that as it unfolds in the U.S. House of Representatives. That's going to be something now when you expel a sitting member of a chamber there in the Washington Capitol. That will be pretty big news. I think it's good. I think it's the right thing to do. I applaud Congressman Michael Guest for pursuing this action and and uh, clearly, they've got the evidence that shows that he broke a whole bunch of laws, I believe, campaign finance laws. I don't think they're just rules. These are laws, right? So he's broken laws. And he, of course, Mr. Santos, standing firm. What did he say? The people behind me was did a little press conference out there on the steps of the Capitol. They're bullies. Bullies. Dude, you stole money. You broke the law. That's what being a bully is all about. Stealing. Being dishonest. Yeah, you don't deserve to be in the U.S. Congress. So you're out of here. I hope that's what happens. That looks like we're on our way, based on reports, that the votes are in, they are there. And I've seen a lot of people on social media that are... I don't know if they're feigning outrage. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like their heart's really in it, but they're trying to object to his expulsion. And part of their argument is, well, look at all the other people in the halls of Congress that deserve to be expelled that haven't. Yeah, agree. But, okay. I mean, if on what basis, though? If there's evidence, bring it forward and get them kicked out if they broke the law. Like, that's the way this should work. You know, I would say it, it, at present, Senator Menendez over there in the Senate. Oh, with all the gold bars and yeah, stuff? Yeah. He, he kind of comes to mind as the person that probably meets the standards that would uh, uh, support his expulsion. But I don't see Chuck Schumer. Or I don't know who the ethics chair, committee chair, or even even if there is one. I believe there is a Senate ethics committee. Sure there is. And, and I suspect it's a Democrat, of course, given that the chamber is controlled by Democrats. So whoever that is, I, I don't know if they would pursue it with vigor. Chris Coons from Delaware is the chair. Oh, man. He's an ideologue. Uh, here's the problem, of course. Could you get two-thirds vote? No. I don't think you could. You get, let's say you get all the Republicans, could you peel off the necessary number of Democrats to achieve that threshold? I don't know that you could. Senator Bob Menendez. Yeah. And there have been others in the past. Who did you say trafficant the other day you were bringing up? Now, was he expelled? Is he one of those three? He was, right? He did a lot of bad stuff. I remember that guy. He had a bad hairdo. <laughs> uh Bob Trafficking. Yes, he was. Uh, the House Ethics Committee recommended that Trafficking be expelled from Congress on July 24th of 2002. 
The House voted to expel him with 420 voter members voting yes, one member voting no, and nine members voting present, with four members just not voting. Wow. I may have said Bob, it's James trafficking. Is that right? It, he was convicted, uh, wait. Yeah. Yeah, Jim trafficking. Jim, James. yeah. Convicted con- felon. Convicted of ten felony counts, including bribery, racketeering, and tax evasion. Felony. Now, Lou, how about that hairdo? You see it? <laughs> What's that all about? I think that was part of his shtick, the hairdo. He kind of was identified with that. His official portrait. Certainly wasn't flattering to his head shape. <laughs> but nonetheless, besides that, he's a crook. He's just a garden You have to have an crook. especially... What's the word I'm looking for? Attractive forehead <laughs> to have a haircut like that and pull it off? Because it really does draw a lot of attention to the top of the forehead. <laughs> no doubt. Good on Michael Guest being the one lead that as chair from the Ethics Committee, says Mike from Madison. He also says, also, this involves an interesting legal concept called the political question doctrine. Courts will abstain from ruling on internal matters with the legislative branch. That's why the House itself votes on the issue rather than through a lawsuit. I got it. Makes sense. Interesting. Ask Representative Guest, when do we terminate impeach dot 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 impeach old Joe? Seems like Trump got the axe over far less. That's on the ceasefire text line. Well that really was something that would have to be initiated for the most part from leadership, from the speaker. And certainly they could consume could consume a whole lot of time now. Representative James Comer, uh, who's been the lead investigator, which what's that committee that he chairs that's been digging into all the Hunter Biden misdeeds and Joe's misdeeds. I mean, they've got what appears to be House oversight. There you go. Pretty clear evidence that there was a substantial pay-to-play scheme. Hey, the other day I saw him, he said it could be as much as $50 million bucks that they shook down. $50 million. Uh, so we'll see. They, you know, we keep being told that we're getting closer, closer, closer. So I, I'd say to that, hang in there, honestly. I, it does feel like that something's going to happen there um, along the lines of impeaching now Hunter is scheduled to appear before the body, right, to testify. I think that news broke a couple of days ago, and he and his lawyers are lobbying not to do it in front of the entire body in public, but rather behind closed doors to a committee. I don't know where that stands, but... Yeah, and there's been back and forth in the media over which side really wants the closed doors. Yeah, I've heard that as well. It's time for a break, folks. Uh, on middays, we're in the Element Well studio. It's a Friday, and Lance Talbert, host of Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Scoreboard Show, and producer of the Gallo Show up next with all the news concerning high school football in the state of Mississippi. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We are in the Element Well studio. We welcome to the program now Lance Talbert, host of the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company High School Football Scoreboard Show and producer of the Gallo Show. <sighs> I feel the same way going to break sometimes. You keep adding a little word in there, but I'm getting better at it. I got it. All right, so... Uh, we had a couple of championships already played, right? Well, you know, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, the MAIS championships began on November the 18th and went for a few days. Real quickly, I'll run through the uh, the private independent school uh, winners in there. Sharkey Aquino won a state championship there. DeSoto, Arkansas was the 2A state champion. Uh, Class 3A, Greenville St. Joe beat Kirk Academy 6 to nothing. That was a tight one. The 4A state champ was Tri-County Academy, a team that played well all year long and was kind of one of our favorites as well as Adams County Christian. They won the 5A. Uh, They won that over Simpson Academy, who had really kind of come on strong late in the season. It started a little slow, but Adams County ended up winning that in 47-29. That was 5A. And then the 6A, Hartfield, blank prep, 21-0. So that was Hartfield's first state championship. They've come close a little bit, but they're a player now. They won the first 6A state championship. As you said, though, we had two crowns. Uh, anointed last night. Biggersville, a team that had only had one loss. The the fighting Brandon Presley's from Nettleton beat them earlier in the season, but Biggersville was able to continue winning. They got the bye in the first round, and Biggersville ended up winning an absolute barn burner last night, 53-49 to over Velma Jackson. Biggersville was 11-1. and Velma Jackson was undefeated. It was a team I was really probably thought was going to win that game but hmm. uh, it, they they just it was some kind of game Velma Jackson fumbled a punt late in the game as Biggersville had narrowed the score it looked like uh, Velma was going to run off with it. Biggersville comes in late, scores with about six minutes to go. Velma gets the ball back and uh, muffs a punt. Hmm. And then, obviously, Biggersville takes it six plays as the clock runs out and scores uh, a touchdown there to Trey Gunn. Um, the Biggersville, th- their number one player, uh, Jaron Hatch, he-, he got hurt early in the game, and that didn't really seem to slow down Biggersville very much. It took them a second to get rolling. But again, a uh, Louisville, uh, Louisville commitment uh, hatch, 62-190. Uh, but the quarterback, Rousey, threw six touchdowns and 373 yards. He was 21 of 53 passing. So what an excellent game there for Biggersville. And you hate to see a team like Velma lose like that, but somebody's got to win them, somebody's got to lose them. Unbelievable. Yeah, it was one of those games. Now, the second game of the night was between West Point and Laurel. Laurel had kind of stumbled early. West Point stumbled early in the season. Both teams ended up finishing dominantly, uh, West Point being the most dominant. They ended up winning their 12th, no, 12th state championship. They'd been to the finals the last three years and had lost. Coach Chris Chambliss uh, had you know some words about that. He said, thank goodness it's, that monkey's kind of off my back now. We take great pride in running the ball and blocking. These kids are taught to win championships, been to the state championship eight times in a row. That's amazing if you think about that. That's dynastic. Hmm. They ended up winning it last night on 447 yards rushing. No offense in the passing world. But Kanan Daniels, the um, – you know, great running back for West Point, uh, and also Quintarian Tillman Evans just paved the way. 
Uh, for, and they were the ones that had the 447 yards of offense there. Kobe Pierce's TD for Laurel was on the first possession. It was a pass. They missed a field goal on their second possession, and then West Point just laid it on them. And uh, that's just kind of how West Point plays. They've been very dominant. So congratulations to West Point, winning their 12th overall state championship. That is the most of any team in the uh, in, in the state of Mississippi. A game that had a ton of great players, USM D-line commitment Zay uh, Lowry was in there, uh, 6'3", 280. Um, just a, you know, a bunch of good names in there, good players, good kids. And uh, Tillman Evans ended up with 129 uh, t- uh, yards on 16 carries with two TDs and Dan and Daniels had 253 on 28 carries in three TDs. So uh, that's what we are up to this point. Now, I want to mention this before we go any further. There was a futures game for MIS last night, an all-stars type game. And then you'll have the, the 1, 2, and 3A all-stars at 2 today at prep. And then you'll also have the 4, 5, and 6A all-star game for the MAIS will be at 5 o'clock at prep today. I'm taking the white team on the 4, 5, and 6A because John White and Reed Jaslowski are playing on the same team. And I think they'll, uh, they'll end up showing out today. 4 p.m. today kicks off 2A. And then 6A is at, uh, I'm sorry, 2A is at 4 p.m. and 6A is at 7.30 tonight. 2A Charleston, 12 and 2 versus Heidelberg, 11 and 3. 6A Grenada, 11 and 3, uh, led by USM commit, uh, Aaron Travis, 6'6", 250 versus West Jones. They're 13 and 0. Uh, give up about six and a half points a game. West Jones is amazing. They won a two to nothing game this year. Two to nothing. Two to nothing. And, yeah, they're a team that I'm going to pick West Jones here. How many innings did that go? <laughs> exactly, it, it was a 28 inning game. But uh, you know, West Jones has some great kids. We had a couple of the players on with us last week: Isaiah Lunchmeat, Lindsey, and Crew. They're just a great group of guys. Uh, coach, amazing people, just wonderful. But that West Jones team that beat Terry midseason two to nothing—that's that, something else. And I'm going to stick with West Jones on that. Grenada's had a great team. Don't get me wrong, but you can't go against a guy named Lunchmeat, Lindsey. So. <laughs> And then uh, we're going to fast forward just a little here. We've got Saturday. Uh, the 4A is at noon. 3A is at 3.30. And 7A championship is going to be at, uh, I think it's at 7. Uh, the 4A Louisville is 14-0 and against 14-0 and Columbia. Hmm. Uh, that's you know, great. Again, I'm married Fortenberry, a South Alabama commit. Louisville's loaded with players as well. It's just a, you know, a, a, a plethora of pinatas, El Wapo, in the terms of quality talent on these teams. Winona. 3A, 14 and 0 versus Knoxville County, 10 and 4. That's going to be the mid game on Saturday. And then the 7A, Starkville returning back to the championship game to take on 12 and 1 Oak Grove. Starkville's 10 and 3. Uh, Trey Petty, Illinois commit the quarterback for Starkville. Excellent player, number two in the state. Uh, as far as quarterbacks, they got wide receiver Stonka Burnside, who everybody's trying to sign. Uh, and they'll battle Anthony Maddox Jr. He was committed to A&M as a quarterback. He's the state's top-ranked quarterback, uh, number eighth-ranked player in the state. But uh, not sure if he's going to stick with his A&M commit until they you know, figure out what's going on down there and mm-hmm. uh, and get everybody hired. But so far, uh, I think he is still committed there. Alabama and Penn State also recruiting him very hard. And then P.J. Woodland, C- uh, cornerback from LSU commit, and Caleb Moore, a defensive tackle committed to USM, as well as athlete Chase Pinkston. So that's just some names there to run off as far as the uh the the guys that i know you like knowing who's doing well and we got a ton of them doing well out there Hmm. gerard i mean it's a it's a 
I'm going to read a few, just some of the names here. Jamonta Waller, he's an Auburn commit. Come here in Franklin, Ole Miss. William Eccles, Ole Miss. Daniel Hill, Alabama and South Carolina are getting after him. He's the kid from Meridian, six one two thirty one running back. Just a beast. Jeffrey Rush, Ole Miss commit. Cameron Beavers, Norrell White, both Ole Miss. J.J. Harrell, Mississippi State. Braylon Burnside, also known as Stonka. State Ole Miss battle. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you can go down this list. Julius Pope, running back for South Panola. Didn't have, he was injured most of the season, but a really good football player. He's an, he's an Arkansas commit. Tyler Carter, Mississippi State. Kanan Daniels, Florida. We can go up and down this list. You get 75 players into this. And we just have player after player after player that are going to good schools. This is a huge class for uh, Mississippi high school football. And, and Southern Miss uh, has had a, if they can hold this class together, they have a ton of great Mississippi high school kids that are committed. And I know they're having a little weekend maybe this week to get everybody together. And I know Will Hall's excited about that class, and he should be. It is a heck of a class, and I think the class that Will Hall is signing this year could be the one that kind of turns the corner for him if you really dig in and look at the type guys that he's recruiting. John White, he is a, uh, won the player of the year for high school and, and academy, and Reed Jaslowski won the offensive player of the year from Hartfield. So those are just two right there, amongst many others that are committed to Southern Miss. I wonder how, uh, like you said, uh, whether or not these classes stay together with the topsy-turvy world of college football recruiting, the NIL, the portal, etc. Yeah, well, and Ole Miss is going to have its work cut out for them as well as many other teams. Everybody wants your best players, and it's okay now to get out there and throw a little money at it. And uh, Southern is one of those that I think you know they're, they're working with uh, less, but that doesn't mean they can't accomplish something here in the NIL. But you're dealing with a totally different animal than a Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Ole Miss is working with uh, quite a bit of money, and I know State is really ramping up their NIL. So what you really want to do right now is keep the team you got together yeah, and, yeah. and so add got, to it. you got to recruit your existing players, and you got to recruit new players. Well, Nick Saban said it might take 5 to $6 million to keep your team together. Then you got to you know, <laughs> oh so think gosh. about that. Crazy. Thanks for your Lance, time today. appreciate it. Thanks, man. Merry Christmas. You too. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Welcome back, everyone. Middays is with you. On this Friday, y'all, as Rhino says, we're in the Element Well studio, and Representative George Santos is out of there, as they say. He has officially been expelled from Congress. It requires a two-thirds vote for such action. 
What was the vote there, Rhino? 311 to 214, I think, is what I saw. Trying to find it again. I lost the report I was reading. Requires two-thirds. And, uh, yeah, 311 to 114. 114, pardon me, not 214. So, right. 435 total, but looks like we had uh, 325 that voted. Seems like there's always some vacant seats for various reasons. There's a combination of vacant seats and just absences. But the bottom line is the votes were sufficient to expel. Representative Santos. Now, I wonder what the laws are in New York. Does the uh, governor appoint a representative to take his place? Does the seat just remain vacant until next November when they elect someone for that district? I wonder how that works. But nonetheless, he out of there. Special election, perhaps, to fill the seat? In the meantime, those situations are governed at the state level. It is very historic. This is big, dead gum news. There's no doubt about that. But he, uh, I mean, the guy's been embattled, as the journalists like to say, for quite some time. I mean, honestly, since before he got elected, you started hearing all kinds of stuff about his past. And uh, the more they dug into it, the more the Ethics Committee investigation learned that he broke campaign finance laws, besides the fact that he just lied. Now, you can't be expelled for lying, but he lied about his background, his, his job experience, and a host of other matters, and, and – uh, just his profile in general was mostly fabricated. But the breaking of campaign finance laws, that is uh, something that would get you expelled. And they According did. to the Constitution, vacancies in the House must be filled by special election. Okay. So it, it, you're saying it is governed at the state level. All right. But... Uh, In contrast with the Senate, Senate, there is no constitutional provision for the appointment of interim representatives uh, by any executive authority at the state level. Okay, so then that is where I got off. That is handled at the state level, Senate. Yeah, the the Senate, there are 37 states that allow their governor or executive to appoint an interim. In the House, they have to be elected by special election, the only... uh, power that the executive authority of the state has is to set that special election. Gotcha. But the point is the Constitution dictates how we handle these situations in the House, whereas Article 1, Section 2, Clause 4, when vacancies happen in the representation from any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. And it kind of makes sense, if you think about it, given that that would be a district without any representation in that body, whereas in the Senate, you still have at least one who represents the entire state. So your district's, in effect, covered in the Senate. Therefore, the Constitution doesn't specifically address that. It's left to the discretion of the states on how they handle those situations. And we know in Mississippi, the governor appoints a vacant Senate seat 
I believe until the next statewide election, then we would go to the polls to replace or vote for a senator. Which I think all that is a legalese holdover from the period of time where senators were appointed by the state. I agree with you. I I was thinking the same thing. Uh, 17th Amendment, I believe. I agree with you. But it makes sense, you know, that if you think about the House being the people's house and where the people are represented, and the Senate's supposed to be the cooling saucer, as it was described. But here we go. I guess so. New York will have to set up a special election. Now, Congressman Guest shared uh, with me that he thinks Republicans are in good shape to retain that seat. And I think by expelling Representative Santos... Rather swiftly, I mean, swiftly, when you think about the legal process and the legal proceeding, if it had drug out into next year and at some point close to the election next year, I think that would have been problematic. Because certainly, if it had drug out to the point where the campaigns were in swing and this guy's out there running for office again, because that's what he said he was going to do, I think that would have been a problem. But So hopefully, Republicans can find a suitable candidate and hold on to that seat. That's fairly critical. As you know, the, the the margin is pretty close there. The one distinction to make about the expulsion of George Santos is this is the first expulsion from Congress without a conviction since the 17 were removed for their support of the Confederacy. Okay. Well, given the high threshold... I mean, a conviction's not necessary. It's Correct. just if you if you can get the votes, you're out. Just usually, like in the last case with trafficking, it required conviction before expulsion. I see. Well, that's certainly where we are. Big time news uh, on the Friday morning. Something. Let's see on the ceasefire text line. Will he lose any federal retirement benefits? He would not qualify for any retirement. This is from Patrick in Louisville. You have to serve at least five years, Patrick, uh, to qualify for uh, pension benefits. He Because he's not employed by the federal government any longer, he would, of course, lose his health care coverage and, and any other benefits provided by the federal employees' benefits uh, program. But most importantly, he would not qualify for a pension. You have to serve at least five years to qualify. Meaning, if you're a member of the House, you got to get elected three times just to get a minimum pension, which would be not a whole lot of money. Uh, I think when I looked it up, it's less than 10000 bucks a year. If you at least serve six years. Well, five. I guess it's a possibility you could get elected to a third term, but only serve five years. It's possible you vacate the seat some point but yeah so he's out though i I don't know of any i don't know of any laws that would preclude a member from losing benefits if they're expelled i don't know the answer to that but but in this case i know he doesn't qualify because he's a freshman member of congress he's been there for only a year uh right a little more than a year just got elected isn't that right in the in the midterm 22, I believe. I don't think he got elected in 20. Is that right? You looking at that? Yeah, he ran unsuccessfully in 20, but he was elected in 2022. Okay, makes sense. I heard just the opposite for Hunter. Wanted public hearing and not private, says Paul and Hernando. And that's kind of what Rhino's saying is there it's depending on who you talk to. I've seen, I've seen that reported both ways, honestly. 
Daily Wire agrees with you, uh, says Paul, as far as what, Paul? We're talking about Santos or, or Hunter? I think you're talking about the Hunter thing. Yeah, okay. Hmm. If you impeach Joe Biden, you'll get something even worse. Kamala Harris. You see that um, – we were asked earlier, did you happen to watch the uh, – yeah, Bo and Indianola. Did you watch the debate last night? That debate, of course, featured two state governors, that being Governor Gavin Newsom of California and Governor Ron DeSantis. It was a red versus blue debate. I'm not a huge Hannity fan, honestly. Uh, but I thought he did a really good job last night. And, of course, he may have some input and participation in drafting the questions, but I thought the questions were good, and I thought the subject matter was good. Uh, I did watch uh, the majority of it. It was, was it two hours, I believe? I think it was two hours. And uh, I, I agree. Most of what I saw was Gavin Newsom lying Almost about everything, and I'll have to give it to Hannity in that when he asked questions about a subject, he also had data pertaining to that subject, and um, the program would display certain data, taxes, crime statistics, price of gas, etc., COVID shutdowns, and the experience there. And it's like Newsom was just ignored it. He refused to acknowledge or accept what was data from the government, by the way. It wasn't like Hannity made up the data. He just dismissed it. The other thing that aggravated me about Mr. Newsom is he he really wouldn't directly answer direct questions, like on the abortion issue. He kept just tiptoeing around it, really wouldn't answer But it was interesting, uh, for sure. It kind of looked like a prelude to a future presidential race. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. the great Glenn Fry there, one of the tunes from his uh, solo career. <laughs> I always associate that with Miami Vice, of course. That in He Belongs in the City, is that what it's called? Something like that. That's another one. Interesting video. Also features Crockett and Tubbs in the video. So last night, uh, 
in that debate, old Gavin Newsom, he scolded DeSantis on his pronunciation, did he not, of Kamala. I think that's how you pronounce it, the way I just did, according to Newsom, instead of Kamala. I think it's how you you emphasize this, this particular syllable there. I'm not really sure, honestly. Uh, but he got all over DeSantis about it. By the way, it's not Kamala or it's Kamala. I think that's what DeSantis said. It's not Kamala. We'll find the tape and play it for you. He jumped all over him about that. Like, who cares? It's not that big a deal, really. Uh, And it's so unimportant. And he didn't do it to be disrespectful. I think there's just confusion about how to pronounce the name. You remember Tucker Carlson going off on that right after she got elected because people were scolding others for not pronouncing it the way it's supposed to be. Oh, I vividly remember some numbskull on the text line accusing us of racism because we kept saying Kamala instead of Kamala. It's like, (laughs) well, hold up. Is it racist to have been a fan of Kamala or Kamala or whoever you want to call them because it was Kamala was the wrestler that made a debut in the early 90s. He happened to be a person of color. (laughs) Maybe it's just the fact that we heard the name pronounced one way for decades before some nobody came along and slept her way to the top. That's so true. My favorite favorite, uh, incident in the whole debate is when when DeSantis pulled out a map that shows where defecation spots are in public in public spaces in the city of San Francisco. He said, you have the freedom to defecate in public in California. You have the freedom to pinch a tent on Sunset Boulevard. Oh my gosh. He said, spare me the notion of freedom. (laughs) Newsom said, ask the folks at Disney about freedom and free enterprise. What's that got to do with anything? Well, DeSantis has gone after Disney. He has gone after them, but I don't know what that has to do with with freedom. Now, I don't think DeSantis should have attacked them. I think what Disney did was wrong and misguided and uh, completely sort of farcically defined the legislation. It kind of took a, a, a life of its own. The don't say gay bills, what they got all agitated about. And the word gay doesn't even appear anywhere in the measure. And so they sort of, it's another situation where... No, Democrats and the media <laughs> lie about something to fit their narrative? Well, it's another deal like we talked about Couldn't yesterday. could possibly happen. Well, there's a shortage of... It's the year of our Lord, 2023. <laughs> there's a shortage of real discrimination, so let's just make something up here, and that's kind of what happened. So I, I think Disney got it wrong. They were They were... Con- Disney's gotten a lot wrong they, in they the last have. few years. And Bob Iger, the uh, new CEO, well, the returning CEO, he, he's kind of admitted that to some extent. Yeah, it's a bigger problem than I thought it was because you're too busy pushing an ideological agenda and not doing what you do well, which is entertain and appeal 
in a wholesome way to children and families. You got off the rails. Had to thrust all your ideological agenda and all your works. And and so I, I think it was inappropriate, honestly, for uh, DeSantis to pick a fight with them. But they were on the wrong side, and they did get the issue wrong. But if I were governor, I'd have just said, all oh, the heck with them. They don't know what they're talking about, and just left it at that. But nonetheless... Newsom had to bring that up, which I don't think has anything to do with defecating all over the place. But he did. He held up a map of San Francisco showing how it highlighted the spots on the map where human feces has been discovered almost in every corner of the city, honestly. I mean, it's covered with human excrement. We're stepping aside for a break. It's Fox News and Super Talk News. In the next hour, Caleb Sailors with Super Talk Mississippi News. Jeremy Nelson at 12.05. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply. To think deeply. And look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays is live now. We are in the Element Well studio on this Friday, y'all. Speaking of Element Well, we got Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Well, scheduled to join us on Middays at 12.05. In the next segment, it's Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News. I Saw Caleb last night at the governor's mansion. It was the the governor's annual open house for the media. Many such members of the media in attendance. The mansion decorated up, looked really nice. It was a fun event. Food was good. Governor was out and about, mingling with the crowd, as uh, was First Lady Ely Reeves. It was a fun event. You know who I saw there? Perez, the great Perez, uh-huh. was in attendance. He made an appearance. Uh, yeah, had a little... He didn't have to be up early next morning. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, but uh, we reminisced and um, caught up a bit. Good to see him. He looks great. We miss him, but uh, we certainly wish him well in his semi-retired life, right? He's been summoned back in for a little, little duty in a here and there. The president... You know, he's not real good with math or economics. I think we've established that fact. Or sentences. Yeah, all the above. Or situational awareness. Well, I caught this on his Twitter account. He's got one of those verified blue checkmark accounts, you know. A billionaire minimum tax of just over 25, oh, pardon me, of just 25% would raise $440 billion over the next 10 years. Imagine what we could do if we just made billionaires pay their taxes like everyone else. <laughs> I, I just laughed when I read that. Imagine what we could do. I'm going to point out once again, since when ever has the amount of money we got coming in 
ever been a consideration in budgeting and appropriating how much goes out. It's been a while. It's been a long while. If that were the case, we wouldn't have $2 trillion deficits. $2 trillion. He, I feel like it's really only been done, what, once in my lifetime? Once in your lifetime. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. In the late 90s. He constantly engages in this class warfare, just ignores facts, ignores practical reality. So let's just break that down for a second. A couple of things. First, me being defined as a billionaire means you have a billion dollars of assets, of, actually of net worth, assets minus your liability. That makes you a billionaire. That's different than having a billion dollars of income. Wait, so you're saying all billionaires don't live like Scrooge McDuck with a giant vault with a diving board full of gold <laughs> coins? Correct. Now, this agitates and aggravates the left when you point out that simple little concept there, that reality, because in this country we don't tax wealth. They want to desperately, make no mistake. And by the way, other nations who have attempted that have failed miserably in such attempts. France comes to mind, where they repealed it. Because the wealthy are really the only ones who can afford to just, well, I'm out of here. That's exactly right. And that little tidbit seems always to be lost on the left in this country. But once again, we point out, and this data, folks, is from the Department of Treasury. That, of course, has a division in it known as the Internal Revenue Service. The top 1% pay more income taxes than the bottom 90%. But it's never, never, never enough for these fools. One other little factoid. $44 billion a year, because he says $440 billion over 10 years. That translates to $44 billion. And that never works out, by the way. This idea that, yeah, we're going to raise taxes by some method, uh, whatever the approach is, and this is how much revenue that's going to generate, never does that work out. Always falls short. Well, if it's $44 billion a year, that is less than petty cash in a in a six trillion dollar deficit uh, budget, pardon me, and a two trillion dollar deficit. That ain't squat. You're not serious, and of course you'll fall short. You want to get serious? Let's talk about rooting out all the waste, fraud, and abuse that is pervasive across the spectrum of government. Pervasive. The CBO, as we've pointed out, actually it was the GAO, the GAO, they issued a comprehensive report back in the summer, right around the end of July, that said, yeah, we think there are $270 billion a year of improper payments. That's their words. Improper payments. Medicaid, Medicare, SNAP, TANF, housing assistance, the just a huge range of 
these programs. Um, earned income tax credits, all the dead gum recoverable credits available when you file these folks file their tax returns. A lot of that comes from from uh, hackers who've obtained illegally, of course. They've penetrated systems, gotten social security numbers. They filed tax returns that, that uh, show that they're owed some sort of uh, refund, usually in the form of a tax credit, and the IRS sends it to them. And then when the real person files their return, the IRS says, we already got your return. And they say, well, we didn't file it. Unbelievable. How incompetent. Now, I support spending money on modernizing the IRS's information systems because that is orders of magnitude more effective at finding these fraudulent situations and preventing improper payments than people are, than an army of people to go shake down and accomplish nothing. I'm on board with that. I think the return on that is significant return on that investment when you think about preventing those situations. It's hiring 80,000 shakedown artists. I'm not for that. Spending of that $80 billion that came out of the Infl- Inflation Reduction Act, $10 billion carved out for improving IT, I'm for that. The return on that, astronomical, I believe. But this is just another situation where when he writes this sort of stuff, the average person that doesn't really dig into the details and doesn't uh, understand that that it's just wrong. Yeah, let's go tax those billionaires. It's the problem. Like, sure. Uh, and, and as you said, they figure out a way to avoid it legally. They take their money elsewhere. It's the same thing as we discussed with the Affordable Care Act yesterday. Okay, yeah, you can impose all these restrictions and insurance reforms, essentially regulate insurance companies' profits, and then what they go do is gobble up other corporations and companies that are in the healthcare ecosystem that aren't, that don't have their profits regulated. And then they own the whole dang thing. And they have a lot more latitude with respect to pricing in those areas. That's old, that old unintended consequences stuff. By the way, I'm watching the television here, folks. Uh, got it on the Business Channel, and uh, currently it's Representative Michael Guest right there on the Capitol steps being interviewed live about the expulsion of George Santos. You'd have to say that the congressman did what he should have done as chair of the Ethics Committee. Now, somebody on the C. Our text line, Ed from New Hope, says, what Santos is being expelled for, other politicians could be accused of the same thing. Well, you're right, Ed. They could be accused of it, but you've got to have some evidence. And mainly here, the problem is uh, misuse of campaign funds. That's the main problem here. The lying about his background, that, that really is – that's unethical. And by the way, Ed, you can expel him for anything or nothing. You can get the votes. You just don't like them. I don't like the shoes you wear. You're gone. If you can get two-thirds votes, that's the key. And that's the protection that the founders understood. You can't just wake up and say, well, you know, I just don't get along with that person. I'm going to get them out of here. you got to have two-thirds of the body. That's a tall order, especially when you consider um, how split we are with respect to parties. It's not like you've got 
two-thirds in one party in a chamber where, heck, you could expel everybody if you could get them on board and you had that situation. So, But I hear you, Ed. I mean, if, if you've got members that are acting in an unethical manner, well, then they ought to be held to account. But remember, you got a very high bar to expel them. In this case, Representative Santos, not only did he exceed that threshold, um, but the members of the Congress, the House, felt that way as well. Coming right back with Caleb Sailors. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. John Mellencamp bumping us into this segment here on Middays. A little R-O-C-K in the USA. That's right. I'd say that's a patriotic tune. I'm going to go ahead and deem it as such. We welcome to the program now Caleb Sailors, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Get a little uh, Johnny Cougar. I mean, he is the guy that said, ain't that America? So got to be a patriotic song. <laughs> All right, Caleb, uh, what is going on here in the state of Mississippi that you guys in the news department have been so diligently tracking there? Well, right now, both of us have our collars out today, so I like that. It's a <laughs> collar out kind of day. Uh, big news, you were just talking about it before the, the, la- the last break, was you know Congressman George Santos being ousted, uh, Congressman Michael Guest from here in Mississippi, the head of the House Ethics Committee, led the charge to get him out of office to expel him from the body. George Santos, very controversial. The the House Ethics Committee released a 56-page report in mid-November detailing what he had done. He had misappropriated funds that were supposed to be directed for his campaign, was paying for things such as OnlyFans and spa trips and personalized shoes and kind of living a life of luxury on money that was coming from donations for his campaign. He had, you know, George Santos now is saying that this is setting a bad precedent that what Michael Guest is doing and the House Ethics Committee and the body as a whole did is setting a dangerous precedent that will have future ramifications, essentially saying that they can kind of get rid of people for whatever reason. But it takes a two-thirds vote to get rid of a congressman. Yeah. So I don't know about the dangerous precedent it sets, uh, sets because – He's saying, though, that I haven't been convicted of a crime. The other five that have been expelled before me were all convicted of crimes. I haven't, but he has been indicted on 23 counts relating to wire fraud, bank fraud, credit card fraud, fraud fraud. I mean, just any kind of fraud. He's been <laughs> indicted on it and and looks to possibly face criminal charges. So Bought I mean, Botox. He purchased Botox, right? Ferragamo shoes and Botox. Yeah. Uh, that, that doesn't – I don't know how that advances your campaign any. I mean, this isn't the uh, the John F. Kennedy days where you're trying to look pretty on TV for anything. I don't, I don't Botox. know. Botox. And so he's the first member of Congress to be expelled uh, the most rec- – uh, first – since 2002, uh, Ohio Democrat Jim, Jim Traffickant was ousted that year in 2002. So it's been 21 years since we've had someone expelled from Congress, and George Santos is now the latest one to be yeah. ousted from the chamber. Well, uh, good riddance is what I say. So we'll see 
We'll see what happens next. Uh, all right, what's going on here in the, in the state of Mississippi you guys have been watching closely? So it looks like Jason White will be. He's been the Speaker Pro Tem of the Mississippi House of Representatives. He was uh, kind of selected <clears throat> unanimously in a closed-door meeting to uh, be the next Mississippi Speaker of the House. We've known this. It's kind of the worst-kept secret in the state of Mississippi that he would be the next House yeah. of Representatives. He'll yeah. be formally voted on on January 2nd, and barring unforeseen circumstances, he will replace Philip Gunn, which, you know, Philip Gunn said, you know, he was historical Speaker of the House of Mississippi, first Republican since Reconstruction, and now he's passing the torch on to Jason White, and Jason White will be passing his Speaker Pro Tem torch uh, down to Manley Barton. And so now, you know, we'll get to the legislative session here in a few weeks, and, you know, lawmakers have a lot to discuss. Tax cuts, you know, Governor Tate Reeves told me on Election Day that one of the things he will try to do if reelected, which he's since been reelected, is... Cut the income tax in Mississippi. It's his top priority, I believe. It is. Yeah. And he wants to cut income taxes. They're going to have to deal with health care crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Quentin Whitwell on yesterday or two days ago talking about, you know, the ramifications if CMS rejects the governor's plan to have Medicaid drawbacks at hospitals if he doesn't expand Medicaid coverage in the state. So they'll have to address that. They'll have to address school choice or teacher pay, other policies. And so... Big session coming up, and um, Jason White will definitely have his hands full and have a lot of responsibilities, but he will be, in, again, barring unforeseen circumstances, will be the guy at the head of the House of Representatives. Yeah, A huge story that uh, came out yesterday that um, involves a man who's been convicted for two different double murders. One of them, the charges were dropped because of faulty dealings by the FBI. Uh, Willie Manning, his nickname is Fly Manning, his... Um, the state attorney general, Lynn Fitch, her office, a couple months, early November, tried to have his execution date uh, set, like soon. And he's on death row for killing um, two former Mississippi State students in the late 1990s. Uh, the state Supreme Court, Willie Manning, has said he's maintained his innocence the entire time. Like, he's never once pled guilty, never once admitted to anything. He said that. You know, there's been faulty methods of testing his DNA. He's wanting his DNA tested at a different lab than the one the FBI used, and he's trying to challenge his conviction. Well, the state Supreme Court said that there's enough evidence that they've gathered from other crimes to say, no, 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 like, we can say that you've done this, but they're going to hear him out, let him, you know, push this challenge, and the state Supreme, excuse me, the state attorney general's office has until December 29th to respond to his challenge, but... They're not going to set an execution date until they've resolved all of that. Right. So they're delaying the process. I personally think he they will set an execution date at some point next year, but they're they're kind of kicking the can down the road just to kind of cross their T's and dot their I's there. Hmm. But, I mean, it's kind of crazy what he's accused of doing. I mean, he's accused of uh, killing the two students, uh, John Steckler and Tiffany Miller, and then selling their possessions the very next day. <laughs> he's also uh, charged with murdering 90-year-old Emmeline Jimerson and 60-year-old Albert, excuse me, Alberta Johnson in a Startville apartment. That The charges were dropped in that because uh, a witness had admitted to lying to the FBI. Or, excuse me. A uh, yeah, key witness lied and um but then he wanted his evidence checked in a different lab than the one the FBI used. It's a, it's a mess of a story, but they, the high court and the attorney general's office are like, yeah, we have enough evidence to convict you of this, to have you finally executed after nearly 30 years. Interesting. And another huge story out of North Mississippi, a trio, a daughter and her parents have been arrested for capital murder, but they were all arrested out of state. The daughter, Caitlin Spence, was arrested in uh, Pennsylvania. 
and her parents, Jeffrey and Karen Spence, were arrested in Virginia for the December 2022 death of Kirby Carpenter. Uh, Caitlin Spence, the daughter, and Kirby were allegedly in a relationship. They had lived together, and she's accused of shooting and killing him, and the parents are accused of covering it up and fleeing the state and hiding. And, well, law enforcement officers, with the help of the U.S. Marshals Services, uh, called them, and they're going to extradite them all back to Mississippi to face charges. Wow. And then, you know, we're approaching holiday season, Gerard, and there's always got to be a Grinch that wants to seal Christmas. <laughs> some Some jerk in North Mississippi... Uh, stole $3,500 worth of kettlebell donations at the Salvation Army in Tupelo. What? <laughs> Why are you stealing from those? From less- the kettle? <laughs> That's what it says. Um, at the Carnation Street location in Tupelo, and the director there, the captain of that Salvation Army location, said that's about three days' worth of donations for them. So someone was stealing from the less fortunate you know, as we approach Christmas season. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I know. Why would you do that? But, you know, someone always wants to be the Ebenezer Scrooge or the Thief of Joy mm. come holiday season. But, you know, on a good note, though, we've had some good sporting headlines this yeah. week. Uh, for the first time since early 2000s, uh, Patrick Shegog, a D3, uh, excuse me, a D2 athlete, mm-hmm. won the Connerly Trophy, Delta State quarterback. He had 44 touchdowns, nearly 3,000 passing yards, nearly 700 rushing yards, only turned the ball over twice this season. I mean, he put up absolute video game numbers for the statesman, and he wanted over uh, Buki Watson, linebacker out of Mississippi State, and Quinshawn Judkins, running back out of Ole Miss. And I was really happy to see Shegog win it because he, he definitely deserved it. I mean, the numbers he put up were incredible. Um, now, on Sunday, we'll see where Ole Miss is bowl-bound for football. You know, a lot of Ole Miss fans, Lane Kiffin and Jackson Dart, have vied for the team to get a New Year's Six Bowl. You know, we'll see if the selection committee puts them in one of those. I, I don't think it's likely. I kind of see Ole Miss in the uh, Cheez-It Citrus Bowl playing a Big Ten Cheez-It opponent. Cheez-It now, huh? That's, it's the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. They're the <laughs> title sponsor of it. And um, I see Ole Miss playing in that game. I don't think Not they'll the get I don't think they'll get an access ball. I don't think so. I think Missouri will get that spot over them or another higher ranking ACC team like Florida State if they lose to Louisville in the championship game tomorrow. But then we've got some basketball games coming up. Basketball season's now in full swing, and Ole Miss is the only undefeated of the big three teams in Mississippi. But Southern Miss tips off tonight at 7 p.m. against uh, Andy Kennedy led UAB. Southern Miss has kind of started off to a rough start this year. They're three and four, but they were uh, some belt. Uh, team of the year, not team of the year, but they won the Sun Belt regular season title last year, and uh, Jay Ladner was the Sun Belt coach of the year last year. Ole Miss, the only undefeated team of the big three in the state, takes on Memphis in a big, big battle. Game. Big battle tomorrow at uh, 1 p.m. Ole Miss has gotten Musa Cisse back, uh, or he's eligible to play. He hasn't That's played a game. Seven foot one, seven foot one, and the Mississippi State they had a bad loss on. Uh, Tuesday night against Georgia Tech. They'll face Southern University on Sunday. They're playing good basketball, though. They're playing good ball. They had a bad loss. They kind of lapsed a little bit on Tuesday night. They'll look to bounce back and get Southern and get back on track. Yeah. It should be an an intriguing basketball season here in the Magnolia Absolutely. College level. Absolutely. Appreciate it, Caleb. Thanks for coming in. Well, thank you, Gerard. We're coming right back, folks. We're in the Element Well studio in about half an hour. In fact, we've got Jeremy Nelson, a partner at Element Wealth, a lot more to talk about as well, including some new rules for these EV tax credits. Stay with us.
Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio. I'm uh, looking for the actual roll vote there on the Santos expulsion. It's being reported here on our ceasefire text line that Congressman Mike Ezell and Trent Kelly voted against it, Mississippi's representatives, and it would be inappropriate to even speculate on the, the reason for the way they voted, so we shall not do that, but hopefully we'll be able to talk to them at, uh, at some point and find out what uh, was on their mind there, what essentially underpinned their vote, if that's true. You looking for it, Rhino? I, I didn't uh, dig into it yet, what the actual vote was in terms of the, I think, 105 Republicans, right, voted against expulsion. Uh, 105 voted for expulsion. Oh, pardon me. Uh, that's 112 right. 112 voted against expulsion. You're right. I got it backwards. My my apologies. That's right. 105 voted with the overwhelming majority of Democrats in favor of expulsion. That's how we got to the 311. 114. Now, I don't know if among the 114 are there some Democrats that voted against expulsion. So we'll... Two. Two. Okay. Two Democrats voted nay, two voted present, and three were not voting to match five Republicans not voting. There you go. I wonder if that was planned. I mean, and that's fine. They can they can discuss that offline. Might be might have been planned. Just cancel each other out and we won't cast a vote. And the reason sometimes is uh they may feel like that it's in their best interest from a reelection perspective in their district essentially to not vote. And you know, of course, the, how they voted is 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 in their calculation. Uh, I should say the next election cycle always in the calculation of casting votes. That's the way the uh, that world works. But it's uh, it's fascinating to uh, to watch this unfold because it is historical. Would you say number four? Right, number four in our history. Man, to get. Two-thirds, if you think about it, of the body, at least two-thirds, to agree to anything is pretty hard these days. But in this case, you got every Democrat, what'd you say? But one, two. or two, two, pardon me, two, five no voted. And, and two said present. And two said present. Yeah, I'm looking at the tally now as well. So that uh, that's interesting. The Ethics Committee, of course, which is... Chaired by Mississippi Congressman Michael Guest, said there was clear evidence that Santos committed serious crimes and said he, quote, blatantly stole from his campaign and, quote, deceived donors into providing what they thought were contributions to his campaign 
but were in fact payments for his personal benefit. I think all that's true. I don't know that Mr. Santos ever refuted any of that, did he? I don't think so. I don't know that he ever came out and said, no, I really didn't use that money to buy Botox and Ferragamo shoes. And and I don't think he was able to provide any evidence to the contrary. He does face 23 federal counts related to campaign finance, wire fraud, and other allegations. He has pleaded not guilty. Man. Yeah, from what I'm seeing, the House House Ethics Committee has been investigating this for a while now. They gave Santos the opportunity to provide evidence in his defense, or at least sworn statements, and he did neither. Okay. I, I think because he doesn't have any. I think the investigation was able to obtain sufficient evidence showing that this really did happen, specifically the abuse of campaign monies. I know it's not exactly the same, but it's kind of like if you're accused of something and you don't show up to court, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be found guilty. Right. Because you didn't offer any defense. Right. Uh, Totally true. Well, all that happening, uh, if you hadn't heard, folks, this morning, Representative George Santos, Republican from New York, has been expelled from the House of Representatives. And he would be the fourth in our history, the first in more than 20 years, and that was trafficking, right? Was the last Jim trafficking? Summer 2002. Okay. Um, the man with the funny haircut from the great state of Ohio. He was fairly popular. I remember in that era, he was, uh, you know, there's 435 members, and honestly, unless they represent you or your state, you don't know. That's a lot of people to keep up with, and unless they are somehow featured in the news. And he was a guy, as I recall, that was on the news a lot. You know, he would he would be someone that uh, news outlets would turn to to discuss activities, for example, in in the house and to get his uh, his opinions and his analysis. And that's kind of how it works. There's sort of a handful that media outlets tend to rely on and gravitate to on a, on a regular basis, depending on the outlet, of course. But he was one of those guys. Santos, I'm not sure he's ever been a guest on any media since he's been in office. I'm looking at some photos of him here uh, reading this, uh, this news report, this feature. Uh, you see that he was wearing a, a, a button. I, I assume this was when they were... The House was deliberating the budget and the continuing resolution and how to handle that situation. He has a button says no shutdown, you know, with the with the no sign through it, the, cir- the red circle with the diagonal bar across it, shut down. <laughs> Isn't he something? It's so creative. But he's out of here. But it, it's uh, I'm curious as to... Uh, the reason for uh, Representatives Ezel and Kelly's vote not to expel, not against expelling. It uh, could be any a number of reasons, but uh, I suspect that one of those individuals will 
come on the network on one of the shows and, and share their reasons for it. But he is gone. Apparently, I don't remember this at all, but then again, I wasn't really plugged into politics in 2002. Apparently, Trafficant always ended his speeches with, beam me up. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> that kind of does sound familiar, but that is because he was sort of seen as one of these aloof kind of personalities. I really do believe the hairdo was just part of his gimmick. Surely he didn't look at that was apparently a toupee. Oh, okay. Well, Which a, makes more sense. It's a bad one, clearly. Yeah. It shows a lot of his, as you said, his forehead. <laughs> it appears it, to be a couple sizes too small it if it's a toupee. It certainly does. Uh, <laughs> trafficking. We ought to dig up some uh, some sound from him. He was an interesting character uh, for sure. Uh Let's see, I'm looking he now. He apparently played football on the same team as Mike Ditka. Didn't know that. And was drafted in the NFL's 12th round by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1963. Wow. Did not know that. Never wound up playing professionally, though. Interesting. I didn't know that. I wouldn't have thought it. Although, you know, you really can't tell when you just... I remember just seeing him in interviews, and you'd only kind of see his, his top, his bust. So I did find uh, the report of how each member uh, voted, and uh, I'm checking it out. I do see Mike Ezel did vote no. That is absolutely true. And let's see. I'm not finding. Yep, Trent Kelly as well voted no. So, but I mean, he stated multiple times that he he was voting no until there was a conviction. That's right, and that that's, he wasn't against an, an expulsion vote. He was an, he was against an expulsion vote without a conviction. And and I think you have to consider that um, you can't use this process sort of arbitrarily and randomly uh, uh, to make it a popularity contest sort of deal. But again, it's a pretty high bar. If you think about it, to get to two thirds, that's pretty dead gum high. I think ball. it all comes back to the conspiracy theory that he never intended to win. He got beaten so badly in 2020, and it looks like there's there's where there's smoke, there's fire when it comes to his irregularities of his campaign finance reporting that date back to that 2020 election. So if he was trying to do it all over again in 2022, not expecting to win, which means none of this would have seen the light of day. Yeah, I agree. Robert C. Scott uh, represents Virginia in the 3rd District and Nakima Williams. I mean, that's a person I've never heard of, honestly, and I'm not being disrespectful. I just haven't. Both Democrats, uh, Congresswoman Williams represents Georgia's 5th District. Those are the two Democrats which voted no, voted against expulsion. Historical day. It truly is. We're coming right back. The Dow now up to 290, up 290. We're in the Element Well studio. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for.
Welcome back, everyone. It is a middays, and we are glad you're here. I believe our senator, this is on the C Spire text line, voted with the Communist Democrats to send an extra 80,000 IRS after Mississippians. That's actually not true. That, uh, that funding was included in the Inflation Reduction Act. The senator voted no. He voted for and with Democrats, along with a handful of other Republicans, for the CHIPS bill, the infrastructure bill, and the omnibus spending bill. All three of those were measures that would only get through the Senate, the filibuster-proof Senate, with votes from Republicans. All three of those passed with the aid of Republicans voting yay. But as far as the Additional funding for the IRS, that is incorporated in the Inflation Reduction Act, and Republicans did not support that. So I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, Janet, in in North Mississippi, Rhino brings up an interesting point. What about Representative Earl Banks? He was convicted of a crime and sentenced. Where is our ethics committee? That's a good question. I'm not familiar. How does that work in Mississippi? Do we have an expulsion process? And I know there's... Folks uh, out there in our legislature that might be listening could let us know. Is there an expulsion process in the state of Mississippi, and what uh, what are the specific rules around that, the requirements to expel a member? But it's a good question, no doubt. I find it a bit... It would require... Two-thirds votes of its membership. Okay, similar, and it makes sense. I mean, that's... I think pretty logical. So when they gavel in, you very well may have an investigation and then proceedings. Could be. I would agree. But because he was convicted out of session, there's no committee meetings that they could vote on his expulsion right now anyways. Yeah, I think that's right. I find it a bit hypocritical to expel Santos because of overwhelming evidence against him, but doing nothing about Biden with the overwhelming evidence against. They should both go. Well, that's Steve from Brookhaven. Let's keep this in mind, Steve. You know, before you start such a proceeding, you want to make it airtight. And I do tip my hat to Representative Comer the Oversight Committee Chairman in the House. I think he and his group have done yeoman's job in really digging into what would qualify, honestly, the standards of impeachment of a U.S. president. That's different than expulsion. So, and again, remember, the House can vote to impeach, but it's the Senate which convicts. That ain't going to happen. But certainly impeaching the president and getting that on the record, especially if he um, he committed some sort of wrongdoing that warrants that. And I do think that Representative Comer and hearing him over the last week, they're getting closer and closer. I mean, it's it sounds pretty convincing to me. And that's why Hunter is scheduled to come testify. But so I'd let it play out, Steve, and I, I hear you. And I, I, I personally believe that Joe Biden has engaged in pay-for-play schemes. I, th- I do think he's broken the law, and I, and I do think it would meet the standards for impeachment. But you also have to take a step back and look at it through the lens of politics. 
Would you rather begin proceedings for the impeachment of President Biden in 2023? Or would you rather wait until the summer of 2024, right before an election, to put out all of his misdeeds in the public eye right before they have to decide whether or not they're going to vote for him? It's a good point. And you're so right in that, man, it just seems like within those final few days leading up to an election where it's really, really close, as we had in 16 with Hillary and Trump, neck and neck, neck and neck. And and I, I still believe totally in my heart that it was that final week when Hillary decided to take a little break and Trump put the pedal to the metal. And he was well advised and he got on the Trump jet and he went to the states he knew he had to carry. Three and four rallies a day. A day. And you have to tip your hat to the man. It, his energy, and it, it was incredible, and his stamina, and, and the excitement at these rallies. But go, being in Pennsylvania, being in Michigan, those last couple of days, I truly believe that did it for him. Because if you look at the margin, it was teeny tiny sliver. Um, question is, now almost a decade later, can he do the same thing? I mean, he certainly seems like Because you're not going to see like Biden jet-setting. No, he, won't, he won't do it. Uh, and I think this will be a different situation because in the midst of COVID, you know, it was just a different environment as far as these big-time rallies. And that's not a hindrance this time. And I do think that will be a huge factor. Uh, but I guess the point I'm making is when you get close to the election, and it, especially a presidential election where they're just so dang close, that's a difference maker, no doubt. Same thing happened with John McCain and Obama. It's right before that uh, McCain was winning, and then we had the bank meltdown. And boom, everything went in Obama's favor. I think McCain would have been elected. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. It's top of the hour. Jeremy Nelson with Element Wealth is next. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday, y'all. We welcome to the program Jeremy Nelson, the partner at Element Well. Jeremy, always good to see you, sir. Always a pleasure. Glad to be here. Well, we've uh, certainly had a, an exciting couple of days in the market. November was a dang good month, right? November was a great month. We had a a pretty big bounce back from a a tough October. Uh, You know, look, seasonally, end of the year tends to be a pretty good time. It'll be interesting to see if it continues. I mean, today is looking okay so far, but see if it continues through the rest of the year. But typically, November, December, January, usually strong months for the market, right? Normally strong months, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Seasonal factors are good right now. We got the inflation report yesterday, the PCE, the one that the Fed tends to pay more attention to, I would say, than the CPI. Yep. And uh, that was positive? Yeah. Look, I mean, we've we've been in the camp that inflation was going to come down. I, I remember well, a year and a half ago we were talking, and I, and I said, 
you know, there is an aspect of this inflation that is transitory. There is some of it that is not. And, you know, that's kind of proving itself out right now that it's still above where we want it to be, but it is, you know, somewhat in control. What's hard to tell, I think, is is inflation moderating because of the Fed's monetary policy, raising interest rates, or are there just a number of other factors, or supply chains kind of returning to to normal? Uh, consumers still seem to be strong, and I think that's primarily because folks are working. Unemployment is still Un- unemployment is 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 still low. Consumption is good. Um, I, I read an interesting article that because. Credit card debt is very high. Very. Over a trillion. And the consumer is feeling pinched from the higher interest rates, uh, you know, the cumulative effect of the inflation. And there was this article talking about how people are are doom spending. So think of it like Hmm. when when you have a diet, right? And you're on a diet, and you're not losing weight, and then you just crash, right? And you're just like, whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm overweight, so I'm just going to eat that ice cream or that pizza or whatever. Well, people are doing that from a spending perspective. They, they're tight. They're, they're feeling financially stressed. And it's just like, whatever, buy now, pay later. I'm just going to go and buy this because it's going to make me feel good. Yeah, right. a lot of that. So I, I think that you know consumption is, is good, but employment is good. And, and you're not going to see the Fed really back off until you see a, a big impact on, on the unemployment rate uh, because they have to finish the job on this inflation. But you know, overall, thus far, the needle is getting threaded. Uh, but there's this one X factor, right? And I, I still fundamentally believe that a lot of the reason that the GDP numbers are as strong as they are and and kind of the economy looks better than the average person is feeling, right? Yeah. The, the inflation – the, the average American is feeling this inflation, but these economic numbers look pretty good. It's the government spending. Right. It's there's there's these massive deficits that are out there. And so when you look at, you know, the the GDP formula from college, right, your consumption plus investment plus government spending plus net exports, which is how government spending, right? Yeah. Big part of the reason GDP was revised up. So you were were talking about this a couple months on the show, a couple months ago on the show, talking about, you know, the the two trillion dollar deficit. That's a part of why the GDP number is up right now. No doubt. And so. I, I, I feel like there's some stress, but it's not as bad right now as some of the doomsdayers would say, but it's also you know not as good as maybe the numbers are showing. Okay. Well, that, that, make, that makes sense. Um, but, and it is a good point for the folks to understand is when the, when the government um, produces these deficits, it's got to go borrow money mm-hmm. uh, to accommodate, and that typically means they print money. Yeah. <laughs> they go produce money. Um, and uh, it does the treasury, and then they go sell the bonds to the, the Fed often, or investors. But yep. the bottom line is, you're you're inflating the currency. Yeah, and what I'm interested to see is, you know, with the deficits where they are not subsiding at all, yeah. only getting, I mean, honestly, worse at a time when receipts are good. Yeah, right when the economy is doing well. Um. I'm really interested to see what this means in 2026 when the Trump tax cuts expire. Well, and it's something we've talked about, Jeremy, on on the program often, and it's because, you know, it doesn't get a lot of attention right now. Politicians don't like to talk about stuff that's two years down the road. 
But that's a huge deal that's just sitting out there, and we're talking about expiration of the individual provisions of the so-called Trump tax cuts, which means everybody's taxes going up. Yeah, I mean, look, we're we're. I was sitting down doing a cash flow analysis for a, a, someone that owned an interest in an S corp, and I was showing them in our system because we're forecasting that it's going to go away, right? I mean, we we do our forecasts on financial plans based on the laws that are on the books. Yeah, and so you know, we showed her. We said. You see this big increase in your taxes? Well, that's the Trump tax cuts going away. So it's going to cost you $20,000 more a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, back when I was um, um, engaged in in acquiring companies, Mm -hmm. one of the things that we as an acquirer, the investment bankers on both sides, would express to the potential seller, you may remember this, is the capital gains rate going Mm -hmm. up 15 to 20. Yeah. And I don't remember what year that was, like 14, 15, uh, somewhere yeah. in that time frame. And it's like, you know, you do this transaction, now you're paying 15% on your gain. You wait, you're going to hit the hip for another 5%. That's substantial when you're selling an asset like it, that. It, it is very, very significant, right? When you start talking about, you know, not just a, a, a quarter of a percentage, when you're talking about 5-plus percent difference, Yeah, I mean, that's... That's a lot of money. And we're talking about five plus percent on a once in a lifetime transaction. Yep. And uh, so that's a big deal. I I would like to see, uh, honestly, uh, capital gains go to zero. <laughs> um, now I know that's not a very popular opinion among among a lot of people, but I, I think if you really looked at what that would mean from an economic perspective, I think we'd end up benefiting with more income. Absolutely. Revenue now, to the government. The, the, the biggest thing is you kind of run into a, a short-run deficit. No doubt. Right? No um, doubt. And, and how you bridge that gap. But, look, we know that that overall the government is less efficient in how it spends money than, how, than, than private individuals and businesses, right? So the more money that you put in people's pockets, the better. Now, there's – there is a a place and a role for the government. There are things that the government has has to do that individuals and, and private businesses can't. But we can't really seem to decide exactly what those things are. And and the reality is that governments across you know the the country have just become bloated, and there's just a lot of inefficiency there. So. But that's a whole that's that's, yeah. what, that's what you got yeah. a three hour show to talk about you know that's, <laughs> well, that's not my area of expertise. Here's here's what we know though is that given the fact that we're generating two trillion dollar deficits, I just went through this based on a, a tweet from the president last night who's calling for a uh, a, a minimum twenty five percent tax on billionaires, right? Which they're all been out of shape because, as you know, lots of wealthy people derive most of their income from capital gains, dividends, et cetera, that are taxed at lower rates. We, we tax income, passive income at lower rates than active productive income. And, and that's what they've always called for is to, is to kind of um, equalize those, those numbers. But it, it's $440 billion a year estimated over 10 years. Yeah, it is nothing. It, it it doesn't move the needle. And the other thing that they're forgetting is that those corporations are paying taxes. Right. If they're profitable, they're paying taxes. Yeah. Right. It's just that when the money comes out, that's when the extra tax gets tacked on for the dividend or if they sell the capital gain. So I don't think that our tax system is 
is unfair and that people are not paying their fair share. It's just the government tends to spend too much money and isn't willing to to pull back and cut. That never anywhere. even enters the equation. Well, the other thing is, since when did we start worried about how much is coming in to figure out how much we're going to spend? If that were the case, we wouldn't have $2 trillion deficits. Yeah. And, and look, there are times, you know, look, I, I think that the Keynesian economics, right, that's the idea of, hey, you're going to spend, the government's going to go into some deficits during bad times to kind of smooth things out. The flip side of that is that you're kind of supposed to run surpluses when things are good. Yep. And we just haven't done that since the Clinton administration. Yeah. Yeah, that's just not in the cards. All right, so uh, we just talked about having a great November uh, for the markets, and 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 certainly today looks like a, a day that, at least right now, is in the green. Got a substantial gain uh, on the Dow. Uh, the Nasdaq has not been faring quite as well. Didn't didn't enjoy the same sort of gains we had mm-hmm. on the Dow yesterday yep. and uh, today. Uh, but there's lots of interesting dynamics uh, that are, I think, going to drive markets going forward. We'll talk about that Absolutely. Uh, when we come back with Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Well. And you'll find your fortune falling all over town. This program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. I like the sound of that there, Rhino. (laughs) Little Pink Floyd. Money. We're back uh, in the Element Wealth studio with Jeremy Nelson, partner, partner pardon me, at Element Wealth. I wanted to also pass on, I'm looking at it in, on the screen here, talking about the map that uh, DeSantis pulled up last night showing the location of feces <laughs> across the city of San Francisco. Uh, my friend Sharon out in Brandon said, that's really disgusting. <laughs> it was, but it was very effective political prop <laughs> as he was hammering the governor of uh, California. But uh, that was a pretty good, I think, exhibit of just contrasting views there, especially from an economic uh, perspective. you got one state with no income tax, another state with uh, extremely high income taxes, second or third uh, in in the country. you got one state that has a, a surplus without an income tax, and the other state that has huge deficits. With an income tax. And losing people because of it. Right. One state gains four or 500,000 people. The other loses a million. Yeah. yeah so, um, and it's a shame because you and I both know California's actually a wonderful place. It's beautiful. It's, a, yeah, it's incredible. Look, I, 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 always, I always enjoy my trips there. It's, it's, it's awesome. A, it's a beautiful state. I love the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. You know, San Francisco, or San Diego is one of my absolute favorite Unbelievable. cities. Unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time just for business in what's called the Inland Empire, mm-hmm. uh, the Anaheim uh, yep. area um, east of uh, Los Angeles and Orange County, which mm-hmm. is somewhat conservative. And, yeah. and it's where McCarthy's from, up, yeah. up uh, just north of that, uh, Bakersfield area. But 
unbelievable business in that area. And that Orange County area is incredible. So I don't it's, think it's, it's it's something that we just you know can hardly fathom. I remember visiting with a prospect, uh, an IT prospect. We were looking at acquiring, and I and I happened to be just in the waiting area, uh, waiting for uh, management to come get us. And there was an Orange County Business Journal on the uh, on the table there. Mm-hmm. I pulled it up, flipping through it, and it was listing the companies uh, in based based by the way in Orange County. Uh, and it was listing them in order of gross revenue. Mm-hmm. Eighty companies with more than a billion dollars of revenue based in Orange County. Yep. I can't even comprehend that when you think about it. And um, in real estate expansion going all over the place, I'm digressing a little bit, but it's a big place, and it's not all bad. It's just that most of the time what we get here is the bad news. And there are great areas that, unfortunately, due to bad government, have deteriorated considerably, yeah. Yeah. and it's a sh- it's a shame. Was it John Wayne International Airport? It's the Orange County. Orange right? County, yeah. best yeah. airport in the country. I love it. I, it's I, the I, best yeah. airport in the country. Yeah, it absolutely is. It, it's awesome. But and the thing, I mean, there's like three million people there. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's as big as the whole state of Mississippi yeah. in that area. Uh, but it's a shame that it has deteriorated. And Newsom did his best to try to defend his policies, but I think DeSantis very effectively called him out on it. All right, so back to the market. This interest rate thing, which, of course, uh, Powell was talking today. I can't remember where he was, but he basically said, you know, you guys are getting a little head here. We're, we're, not, we're not at the point where we think we can start cutting and pivoting on rates. But uh, ING, a, a, an economic think tank, I guess you could call them, or an analyst, uh, ING Economics, uh, just yesterday predicted six cuts, six cuts. Next year, starting in the second quarter, um, James Knightley is their chief international economist, said that um, that cooling inflation and a cooling labor market are the reasons they foresee the Fed pivoting and starting to roll them back. So basically what they're, what they're forecasting, if you're talking about getting six cuts next year – they're really forecasting that the economy is going to deteriorate, right? That this yeah. five plus percent in the third quarter was kind of a sugar high thing. That yeah. it's going to really, really deteriorate as we as we go throughout next year. That might be that's probably a little bit aggressive. I do th- I do think that the labor market is going to begin to cool. Um, what will probably happen is. One company will come out, and they'll be the first one because no one wants to be the first one. Because if you're cutting, it's sig- it's signaling to the market that you're having some problems. Yeah, you know there'll be one big company, one bellwether that'll do it, and then it'll start, you know, coming. Yeah, in spades. It's usually what happens. So it'll it'll happen over and over and over. And what ended up happening, like with the tech companies cutting last year. You know, they kind of overhired through COVID, and then it was just they started dropping the hammer, and it was one after another. Apple, Meta, you know, um, Amazon, all of them ended up doing it. So I think that's what will start to to happen next year. It's all just been a little bit delayed. You know, this cycle is lasting longer than most people, including myself, expected. I thought that we would have been there by now. Yeah. 
Well, uh, an example is Salesforce.com. Yep. They posted unbelievable results, and they attribute that to uh, some of their cost cutting and shedding yep. some labor they yep. didn't they didn't think they need, and kind of shifting their their focus around on their business lines. But typically, those guys are the first to cut, first mm-hmm. to hire back. Yeah. Well, and and I I always talk about this that look down cycles these or or recessions as painful as they are they're not the worst thing in the world because you you eliminate the excess and yeah. you come out a better company through that yeah yeah that's absolutely right it it, it kind of forces you to make the decisions that you've sort of been putting off and yeah. knowing you needed to do and that's because when times are good you say well i just put that off especially when it comes to letting go of people oh look we we never we never want to do that we naturally nobody naturally likes firing people yeah. and upsetting their households sure. and, and the stress that that creates but so we, you're right. We we put that off, and then it finally gets to a point where it just has to be done, and you got to rip the bandaid off. Yeah, the uh, the magnificent seven, as they are called, they have been uh, fueled quite a bit uh, by the AI revolution. It's hard to believe, but it's really only been a year since Chat GPT, the generative AI technology, was introduced. But that's just one form of AI. But we're going to see this really embedded and and, um, be injected into almost all industries, and they're going to benefit. So I am really, really bullish about AI, but in a different way than people think. See, labor productivity is the backbone of economic growth. AI is the first thing since the smartphone and the computer that is really going to change the curve on labor productivity, right? So if as, as a worker, if I can produce more, I'm going to make more money. Right. If I make more money, I'm going to spend more, right? So I'm, I'm a big, big advocate of AI, and I think that it's going to make businesses better. Where I'm really actually bullish on it is not necessarily who the winners and losers are going to be in, in the development of the AI, because I think a lot of that is overvalued and Look, I'm not smart enough to know which one's good and Nobody which one's not, is. right? Yeah. And what's coming down, I have no clue. But where I'm really bullish is that if I go into old school businesses that are going to be that are profitable, that pay dividends, that are cheap in the market today, that are going to take this technology and implement it into their businesses to be more profitable and more productive, I'm very, very bullish on that. So, you know, my outlook about AI is, is a little bit different. I don't want to chase the tech stocks, right? Because I think that they're expensive. I want to go find those companies that are profitable today, that have, you know, good balance sheets, moats around their business, and that are going to take this new technology and make themselves better. Yeah. And there are uh, lots of ways to play in that regard. Uh, one thing that, uh, as you well know, a, a lot of investors have uh, shown a lot of interest in is NVIDIA because they're the guys that right now are the primary maker of the chips needed uh, yeah. to produce AI applications and the technology itself. So so my concern there is, one, China, right? Yeah. Um, now, this is not a recommendation to buy or sell NVIDIA. Yeah. Um, but my concerns there are one China. Yeah. This is a this is a, a, a big issue. Um, so, so national security around AI is going to be a, a big topic. No We're going to be talking about this for years and years to come. So two is how much how many orders are kind of double and triple orders or or, or demand being pulled forward, especially because of what happened with chips during COVID. But also, you know, here's a company that just absolutely blew out its numbers. 
and it's down. Yeah, I saw that. Right? Well, because what's the multiple on it? That's ridiculous. It, it, it starts getting crazy. And then also competition is going to come fast no and fierce, right? So I'd rather kind of look and say, what are businesses that are going to be able to benefit from all of this technology and implement it and be more efficient? That's where I like to play. Yeah, I agree. And so I, I think there are going to be lots of doors open there in ways that we probably hadn't even thought about. I think you're right. There are going to be some sort of old guard, old line industries that hadn't really considered how AI will impact them in a positive way, and there's going to be some upside in that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Jeremy, always good to see you. Appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, has been our guest in the Element Wealth studio on middays. We're coming right back. Half an hour left in the program. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Jackson Brown today on in a Mississippi minute with Steve Azar you'll hear an interview with Sherry Smith of the Deer Creek Christmas Festival in Leland in a Mississippi minute with Steve Azar is presented by superior catfish remember there's catfish and there is superior catfish it's US farm raised catfish with homegrown flavor ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant and go to superior catfish Dot com. Uh, it could be Sherry Smythe. I'm not sure, uh, Rhino, how to pronounce uh, Sherry's name. S-M-Y-T-H-E. Go either Smythe. way. Yeah. The, uh, the debate last night, one of the things that really stuck out to me was uh, Gavin Newsom's refusal uh, to answer Hannity's question about abortion. And he, he just – he wouldn't. And, it, and the question concerned fetal viability and abortions after that, and if he supported late-term abortions without restrictions. And, and he just never would directly answer the question. He just continued to insist, well, that's just something that is between the, uh, the, the pregnant mother and, and the doctor. And just in the position. Surely he didn't say pregnant mother. Well, I, I'm trying to, after I said that, I'm thinking, no, he probably didn't. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure how he described uh, the person with baby, <laughs> with child. I'd have to look that up. But it, it, um, 
is he, and Hannity kept pressing him on it. Hats off to him. No, you still haven't answered the question. And he just said those. He may have been patient, actually, that he said, but he but he would not directly answer that question. Why is that so hard? And I'm assuming it's because he wanted to ensure that he remained in favored status, right, with the pro-choice, abortion-on-demand, reproductive health care up until the uh, the end of the gestation period, honestly. So he just wouldn't answer it. And he criticized DeSantis for signing off on the six-week ban and said it was too harsh. And, and he did point out something we've said here on the program that even Donald Trump, was critical of the law in Florida as being too harsh. Six-week ban. Took it from 15 to 6, as I recall. But it just bothered me that Newsom never would offer a direct response. Yes or no, I support that. Just wouldn't do it. It's kind of disgusting. Kelly said on the Gallo show that he would vote against it until there was a conviction. That's Rambo and Carthage. Rhino also pointed that out earlier as well. And that's fair. That's fine. Uh, Dan in Hattiesburg says, I don't think you could get both sides to agree that the sky is blue. I agree, Dan. And that was in reference to the comment I made that getting two-thirds of of uh, either chamber in com- uh, Congress to agree to to anything. It's virtually impossible, but that is what happened. That was, of course, all uh, Democrats voting for expulsion and, would you say, 105, right, Republicans who joined with them in voting for expulsion. But he's gone. Possibly some of those who voted no took the long look in the mirror, says Curtis and Biloxi. Well, that's, I think, a plausible theory, I guess, that maybe they um, feel like that the same could fall on them and it could get uh, get them expelled. I don't know. This is pretty blatant, though, in my view, and, and, and egregious. And it was uh, no question that it occurred. Even the representative, as you said, really didn't. Yeah, Santos offered no defense yeah. on his own behalf. Hmm. It makes me laugh to think of the House having an ethics committee. You have fire alarm Bowman trying to stop or delay official business and Tlaib chanting from the river to the sea the total annihilation of Israel. Is it only Republicans held to higher ethics? Well, that's... um. That is an interesting take, and um, I, I don't know that the Democrats would devour one of their own if they would be as inclined to do so, so to speak, although both of those would be difficult, I just believe, to uh, get through two-thirds of the chamber. Certainly investigating, and there was an investigation. Was there not Rhino into Bowman pulling the fire alarm? I think they're... I think he did have to come forth and explain and respond to that. And, and uh, with respect to uh, Tlaib, I mean, normally what you see are, are some sort of resolution to censure a member for 
stating something like that. I don't know that that happened, but I agree it is disgusting, no doubt about it. Both of those examples, though, I mean, the the Bowman one, he was charged with a misdemeanor. Rashida Tlaib, while it's deplorable what she thinks and believes about the country of Israel, in that instance, it really only breaks the House rules. It doesn't break any laws. That's that's true. Whereas uh, Representative Santos broke laws, federal campaign finance and laws. Bowman broke a law and pled guilty to a misdemeanor, misdemeanor charge. Yeah. Yeah, Whereas not, Santos has been accused of felony. That's a little, little different, I would say, in terms of uh, the, the seriousness of it. Thomas and Greenwood so said, Wicker, he never votes fiscally conservative. Thomas, what, what would constitute a vote for fiscal – that you would define or describe as fiscally conservative? Would it be to not spend any money whatsoever, like zero? And to take in no taxes, just essentially dissolve the government. Heard y'all earlier talking about state football championships. This is from Debbie in Hattiesburg. I'm from Columbia and recently had a chance to talk with four of the players at the mall food court. These young men were so polite and respectful of me, old enough to be their grandmother, in parentheses. I talked to them about Walter Payton, who played when I was at Columbia. They never looked at their phones while I was speaking and said, yes, ma'am, and thank you. I told them that their respect and courtesy was a life skill and that they continue that throughout life regardless of championship. Go Wildcats. Thanks for sharing that, Debbie. And you know what I believe that means is that they're in a good household, that, that, that somebody's taught them that. You don't come out and behave that way unless somebody has taught you that is the proper proper and appropriate way to behave. And the same can be said for the flip side. If you encounter somebody being a Karen in public and causing a scene because my French fries are cold, yeah. stuff like that, the reason you have an adult acting like that is because for pretty much the entirety of their life, they've gotten their way with that attitude and mentality. Yeah, that they uh, the old apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as the saying goes. I totally agree. Ronnie and Summit says some vote not to expel because they do shady stuff too. <laughs> I mean, I need that map so I can go take a dump. Talking about, <laughs> oh my gosh, the map of San Francisco showing the location of human feces—that's sad. If I'm not mistaken, that whole idea of the map started in California with the government of San Francisco putting out a map saying, "Hey." Show us where it's happening. We'll take care of it. And then the map got flooded with people reporting it to the point where it covered the map. Right. And they quietly pulled it from their website, and now it's become a meme. Okay. (laughs) I'm surprised there's not an app that that somehow electronically detects the location of all the human waste and updates it. Uh, I may have just given somebody... Idea. I have heard from friends that have been to San Francisco uh, of, of late, uh, staying in that Union Avenue downtown, Union Square, pardon me, downtown area. And the hotels uh, will provide them with a map that says it's safe and you won't encounter this sort of stuff on these streets, these paths, these routes, will on these. Literally drawing that out on the map. 
That's sad. That truly is sad in a major American city. And you wonder why companies are up and leaving that city. Oh, my gosh. Exactly right. Thomas says, voting fiscally conservative means that you don't vote for a bill that spends less than, or you do vote for a bill that spends less than or equal to actual tax receipts. I have a thought about that on the other side of the break. In the Element Well studio, the final segment is coming up. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. It's the obligatory George Jones. <laughs> Finally, Friday. Cambridge, Massachusetts, the latest city uh, governmental entity in the nation to ban most gas powered leaf blowers. Oh, yeah. Nothing is a threat to. Society like the old gas-powered leaf blowers. Unbelievable. Pay no attention to China building a coal plant a week. Unbelievable, man. Bubba Starkville says, Newsom is very good on stage and all caps slick. Reminds me of Obama. He will be the next Democrat presidential candidate that may come sooner than you think. I actually agree with you, Bubba. I think he's a very good retail politician. He um, refused to answer some questions and also dismissed fact and continued with his narrative. But he's pretty good. I, I give it to him. And he was prepared. And I, I think he would be a formidable candidate. You simply cannot discount that. You really can't. Again, Thomas and Greenwood, um, who believes that fiscal votes – Fiscally conservative votes, pardon me, would mean voting for legislation that spends less than or equal to tax receipts. So, Thomas, that means you would be on board with tax increases, right? Because you could increase taxes, thus increase revenues, and and still spend less. Now, it's, it's a complicated problem. What is the right amount of revenue? What is the right amount of spending? What should we spend the money on? It's a complicated problem. And and it and it makes it difficult to try to fit into a nice little tidy neat box what's fiscally conservative because we got no chance right now and I don't see it arguably in our lifetimes of balancing the budget and discontinuing the trend of giant deficits and adding to our debt I, I don't see how we get there and mainly because. The main drivers of that are the mandatory spending programs that nobody will touch. 
And so I don't I don't see where we get there. How we get there. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, somebody else said something I was looking for. Oh, Chris, the mailman says USPS, the Postal Service, and UPS are only going to be hiring half the normal holiday seasonal workers as they normally do. I've heard the same from uh, Amazon, who typically brings on more staff to fill the rush of orders in the holiday season. However, Black Friday, Cyber Monday came in level with expectations. And so it's it's hard to tell at this point. It's So that may be their plan, but they may get halfway through December and go, oh, no. Yeah, I totally agree. Open up the doors. Yeah, you're, you're right. I totally agree. So we'll see that some other uh, something else that happened yesterday that's that's worthy to pass on two days ago actually, and it's that Deutsche Bank, which was one of the banks that loaned money to Donald Trump as a client, uh, testified in his trial in New York. Pretty much, honestly, folks, blew a total hole in the uh, in the government's case, the AG's case. Well, they just pointed out the same thing we've been saying exactly. this whole time. Exactly right. Which that is, we use a third party. Yeah, exactly. And they said, hey, he paid us back. He paid with the interest as per the loan agreements. We made a lot. It's called him a lucrative client. Well, yeah, if you're borrowing a bunch of money and you're paying it back with interest, that's a lucrative client. That's what you're in business to do. It's a win-win deal. He took that money, invested it. And uh, built assets and and built value with it. So, again, this is nonsense for them just to say, well, you lied. You inflated your assets. Well, the banks were perfectly happy with it. The insurers were. Nobody was harmed. Nobody was damaged. It's something, the same thing that his lawyers have been pointing out from the get-go. It's what we've been pointing out. But there's some strange nuance in the law in New York that basically uh, uh, evidently allows the government to pursue uh, a citizen on uh, inflating the value of their assets regardless of whether any one any parties were harmed you know and, and banks don't they don't really put all their faith in what the potential client, the debtor says their assets are worth. Nobody does that. They don't loan money on that basis. So this this is really very damning for the state's case against the former president. And I I think this is going to come out in his favor. Who cares what he... And Deutsch also said, we have clients like Trump all the time that estimate their net worth to be one thing, but it's different. Who cares? We don't. All we care about is ascertaining the value of those assets we're loaning money on that are securing our loans. That's the way it works. Folks, we thank you so much for joining us today. We're back with you again Monday. Have a great weekend. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.